If you have your Bible with you, if you could turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be parking ourselves in verses 12 to 19 uh, this morning. If you're visiting uh, Canterbury Gardens, we've been taking our time deliberately to kind of chew on this beautiful letter that Peter's written to a group of churches, uh, and we're coming towards the tail end, really. And um, this morning, we're going to spend a significant time just on these verses. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Uh, last week, Nathan uh, challenged us and reminded us what does it mean to live for Jesus in this world, but without compromising in our faith. He gave that visual picture about uh, uh, the wave sort of eroding away and eventually just crumbles, but little by little by little if we compromise in our faith and we don't stand for Christ uh, in this world and how it actually derails our faith and it's not good for us. And so what Peter is doing is we're actually now jumping from that section, but he's, it's connected together and we're continuing. And now he's drilling deeper as he uh, continues to speak to these group of churches. And he's particularly going to be talking about a topic about suffering. And particularly what does it mean to suffer for the sake of the gospel as followers of Jesus. So here is God's word from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad with his, when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you Suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is God's word. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for these beautiful words that you've written through your servant Peter, through your spirit. We pray that now as we listen, that you will prepare our hearts as we continue this time of worship. That you would speak directly to us not just individually, but as a community, as we live for you in this world, in this season, in this time in history. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified this morning. In your name, amen. Uh, this morning, what I want to do is really just uh, focus on two things. We are talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel, for being a Christian, but looking at uh, two particular topics. One, why we suffer. So looking at verses 12 to 15, and then how we suffer. Sounds really exciting term to talk about on a Sunday morning, isn't it? But come along with me, there's a reason for this. Now, I want to set a bit of a framework. When we think about suffering, some of us, our minds will go to different places. So I want to set a context for us. Uh, suffering in this context, in this time, is not specifically talking about if you've got um, challenges with um, things at home or health or personal kind of suffering and trial. This is particularly talking in the context for suffering for representing Jesus Christ in this world. 
And for some of us, when we hear the word or the term suffering and trial, we may go a few different places. Some of us will go, oh, I'm getting nervous. This doesn't sound too exciting. Suffering for the sake of the gospel. Some of us might actually feel like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't compute. Isn't God loving? Isn't he gracious? Why would he allow this to happen? This doesn't, oh, I'm not really sure about this, Shabu. And there are some of us, I think probably more in the Aussie culture, bring it on. I'll take it on. Bring it on. Bring on the suffering. Bring it on. See, Peter's writing to these churches, and Nathan touched on this last week, about how there was going to be suffering trial for the sake of the gospel. Some of them would have been already facing it, but there was impending persecution that would appear. And you can read that in church history for believing in Christ. So he's continuing this conversation to these group of churches. But what he wants to say to this church, and, and he's continued this conversation earlier, if you've been following one, Peter, that what does it mean to live for Christ in a world that will be hostile against Christ and the gospel? And so he's saying to these churches straight away from the word go, hey, don't be afraid for the sake of the gospel. So if you are someone here who might be afraid and thinking, oh, I'm not, this doesn't sound exciting to be um, suffering for the sake of the gospel, these verses in front of you are there to give you courage. If you're someone who struggles with that idea, yeah, God is loving, but how is he laying suffering and trial coming for the sake of the gospel? These words are once again to remind us, encourage us, challenge us to answer those questions for you. And also for those of us who love to have a bit of a fight and argument for the sake of the gospel, this is here to remind us there's actually a bigger purpose and why we suffer for the sake of the gospel. So look at verses 12 to 15 with me, where he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Here in this moment, Peter is writing to this group of churches and he's saying, here's the reason why you suffer for the sake of the gospel. Peter is instructing these churches and saying, hey, don't be surprised when it comes. There's an assumption it will happen. If you're going to stand for the sake of the gospel, churches, you will suffer for the sake of that. But he's saying, don't be surprised. It's actually like he uses this language of a testing fire. But in that moment, don't be surprised as it happens. And then he actually says to the churches what their response ought to be. That is to rejoice. He's saying to these churches, hey, churches of Asia Minor... When this happens, when suffering comes, when trial comes for the sake of the gospel, don't be surprised because there's a deeper work going on that you now actually are displaying that you have fellowship with Jesus Christ. There's this thing in term in Christian language talking about union with Christ. And often it's connected with being, dying with Christ and then we've been resurrected with Christ. There's this language that goes on in here Peter's saying to these churches, hey, you're, you're also suffering just as Christ suffered. And as you suffer, 
Your response is to keep rejoicing. It's like saying, as suffering and trial increases for the sake of the gospel, your response should be rejoice. And so will your joy increase as you suffer for the gospel. Now, this does sound weird, particularly for those of us in our world, in our day and time. It may sound weird even to you, if listening in. I mean, it sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Like, are you telling me that if I'm a follower of Jesus, there is going to be impending trial for the sake of the gospel? Yes, there will be. And, and, and you're, you're telling me, Shabu, that my response should be rejoice, happy. Well, yes. Because that's what it says here. So there shouldn't be a surprise when we are ridiculed for the sake of the gospel. And I think in our Western context, particularly here in Australia, putting it bluntly, I think we've had it quite comfortable for a long time. For a long time. And I think what's seeped into a lot of the Western churches, particularly maybe even in Australia, that there's this term or idea that following Jesus means success, happiness, conquer, and favor. And there's some of these terms are helpful. They're biblical terms. And there is um, success. We are conquerors, right? In Christ. But the idea is that sometimes it's kind of corrupted a little bit and it's given us this sort of comfort. These words are a reminder to you and I even today. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. When persecution and suffering comes for the sake of the gospel. Especially as you and I stand for Christ. Don't be surprised. But I think often we are surprised. I want to show you three pictures here. Um, These pictures have been of great hilarity for me for a long time. So in America, there's this uh, theme park and they have a haunted house in there. It's not really haunted, it's the theme haunted. And the idea is they go in there and someone thought it'd be glorious to put a photo in one of the most scary spots of of the haunted house and they took these pictures. And I want to show you three of my favorite pictures. The first one, this guy, I'm not sure if that's his boyfriend or wife, You can tell who's the real scared person in that moment. The second photo. This is my favorite because I would be that guy in the checkered shirt for sure. All right? All the mates, they're all scared. They're just, you know, the picture's taken. The final one, this is my ultimate one. Now, this guy, I'm not sure if that's his wife, girlfriend, whatever, should be protecting her. He is running away. (laughs) And she's trying to pull him. Now, I want you to imagine if most of these kind of places have signs and warnings saying, just warning you to cover their backs, there's going to be some things that are going to happen in this house. You're probably going to get scared. If you have a heart issue, don't go in. Right now, I want you to imagine they read all that. They might even have to sign a waiver. I don't know. At the end of it, they walk out and there's a camera person going, hey, how was your experience in the haunted house? And they turn around and go, actually, I'm quite surprised. I wasn't expecting that at all. Now, in some sense, we go, what do you mean you weren't expecting that? It's expected. It's a haunted house. It's going to happen. Now, that's a very silly illustration. I think, in some sense, what happens in our context even today, because in Christianity here in Australia, we've had it fairly comfortable when these recent things are happening in our world... I think at the end of the day, our comfort has been shaken. And all of us are a little bit surprised. Why is this happening? 
these words are a reminder, don't be surprised. They're a reminder that don't be surprised, but as it happens, as you stand for the sake of the gospel, there's a bigger purpose in that. And the picture that Peter gives is that we've given this grand, um, wonderful, grand cosmic privilege that we're actually um, sharing in the sufferings of our Savior who's gone before us. And then there's also this promise that he talks about in these passages at the end. There is coming. The glory will be revealed when Christ returns. To the purpose of suffering, the reason why God allows it, this trial, as we stand for the sake of the gospel, it's a refining moment. It's a testing moment. It's to shape our own faith, also shape the faith of the church. And to kind of point that further, he drills further in verse 14. It says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's saying even to the judges, Hey, as you stand for Christ in the gospel and you are insulted for that, hey, be aware of this. You're actually blessed because there's an evidence of this. And that evidence is that God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit, rests on you. It would have been powerful and encouraging words for these churches. He's saying that the fullness of God, His Spirit, now has come to rest on you. And I think Peter's been quite deliberate in the language that he's using. Most would say he's echoing passages like in Isaiah, where it talks about Jesus, the Messiah, where the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Now, Peter extends that further and says, hey, churches of Asia Minor, because you belong to Jesus, if you have faith in him, guess what? His spirit now rests on you. And then he uses interesting language where he talks about the spirit of glory. It's like a throwback to Old Testament times. I don't know if you remember the Bible stories in Sunday school about God appearing as a pillar of fire and a cloud. This idea that his glory was resting and guiding and leading the people of Israel. It's the language they use called the Shekinah glory of God. Now Peter is saying, hey, the dwelling place is no longer in a cloud and resting and moving, but now has come through his spirit, is now resting on you. What have been encouraging words, and these should be encouraging words to you and I too. The reason why there is suffering for the sake of the gospel is that it's there and it's opened up to refine us. That's a call for us to take courage. That you have a Savior who has actually gone before you. And you are joining with Him in that. Do you know that as we suffer for the sake of the gospel, as we're insulted for for the gospel, the call is actually to take courage. Because ultimately what they're seeing is not that you're just a Christian, but actually they're seeing Christ in you, his spirit in you, as you shine his glory, his loving glory to those around you, even those who oppose you for the sake of the gospel. And ultimately what they're really doing is ultimately insulting him. So friends, these words are encouragement to you and I to actually lean deeper into our Savior because he has actually got you. He's actually at work. It is hard. I'm sure it would be hard. But we are called to take rejoice and be glad. 
And this is, for those of us who are thinking, well, it doesn't sound fair. God, isn't God loving? Why would he allow this? Maybe there's a reason why you're feeling that. Maybe you were told an untruth. That following Jesus does not equal any trial, that it's all good, everything's happy. No, that's not true. See, your Savior himself came into this world and went ahead of you and suffered on your behalf. And you know, it was interesting, he had this interaction with the very author who penned one Peter about this. And there's a passage up here we'll put up here from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is heading to the cross and he's telling his disciples this. He says in verse 21, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Peter's response to him is, no, this cannot happen. We're not going to let that happen. And Jesus' response is, get thee behind me, saying very poignant, strong words. But then he says in verse 24 to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that call is even the same even today for the sake of the gospel. And that call is even for you and I that if we belong to Christ, in that season as Christ refines us, we stand for the sake of the gospel, we are called to rejoice and be glad. Now if you're those of us as you hear about suffering and trial for the sake of the gospel, is to kind of, um, you know, bring it on. Let's go. Let's have a round about this. There's an interesting verse in verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. It almost seems a bit weird, but I think it's not. It's actually connected to the bigger picture. Nathan touched on this. We touched throughout 1 Peter. There's this contrast. Well, if you belong to Christ, this is how you live. It should marry. There's some strong language in there. And this is what Peter's, I think, continuing. He's been talking about it already, saying if you're going to be a witness for Christ, don't be wicked. There's no blessing for being wicked. There's no blessing for suffering. For Ultimately, if you look at those lists, if you summarize it, all of that is actually deliberately brought on themselves. They're actually bringing it on to themselves. And he's saying if you're suffering by doing these evil things, ultimately doing evil works or even being a meddler, actually you can't rejoice. There's no claim that you can take. You've actually bought it on yourself. I think it's a wonderful point and reminder even to us, maybe not many of you are kind of murdering or killing or meddling, hopefully not. If you are, please have a chat to us afterwards. love to talk to you about that. It's this idea that don't invite suffering in the wrong way. So it's not a deliberate action. The passage that we're looking at talks about God is the land. It's a different language here. The language here is if you're bringing it onto yourself and you happen to have suffering for that, it's pointless. I was thinking about this. What could this look like? Well, we have three kids. Our three kids, and particularly one of them, is in a season of realizing what buttons to press to annoy their younger siblings. I'm not mentioning names. I'm trying really hard. <clears throat> and there's this moment, one of, one, of, one of these kids came up to me recently, and uh, you know, usually the other end of the house, and you hear a bit of a quiet, laughing, yelling, crying, yelling, Stop it, yelling, 
stop it, one laughing, and then all of a sudden there's silence, and usually it sounds like a physical... And you're like, what just happened there? And you hear crying. They come down the hallway. Dad! What happened? It's not fair. What happened? So-and-so hit me. Why? They did it on purpose. What did you do? They did it on purpose. (laughs) And it's this moment of where you're realizing, well, did you annoy your sibling? They did it on purpose. And then you ask them the question again and realize that out of it you realize they they were actually calling for it in some sense. And when they get whacked, it's like, (gasps) how could this happen? And the language I think Peter is trying to make a point here, if you're going to be a meddler, if you're going to kind of bait and brawl the suffering because of that, actually it's pointless. You're actually doing it yourself. And the strong language here is about suffering for the sake of the gospel, God allowing as you stand that trial, it's actually God is involved in that. It's a different kind of language. See, when we suffer, friends, for the sake of the gospel, what's really going on a deeper level, we are actually becoming more like our Savior. Because it's actually showing that we now no longer live for ourselves, we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you know what? This is the normal Christian life. And we should expect it. And I think in our Western culture, we don't see it as much, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is normal. This is expectant of them. A little while ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who does uh, mission stuff with um, people in a particular area in Asia. And he was talking about, so what do you kind of do for staff training? One of the things that he talked about is how we do, you know, we talk about uh, the key fundamentals of the gospel they need to understand, Bible teaching stuff. You know, one of my favorite things that we teach uh, at this particular school, so what's that? He goes, how to jump out of the window safely. And I just looked at him, what? He said, oh, well, that's part of our training because, you know, this underground church could come anytime, shut down, and they have to learn how to keep safe. So we teach them how to jump out of the window safely. It's expectant for them. It's not a surprise. In this section, Peter then continues and he finishes as we look at verses 16 to 19. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteous is scarcely saved, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In this summary, what Peter is saying to the group of churches that he's writing is, hey, please don't waste your suffering. In the moment, as you suffer, and he uses the term Christian, it's the second time they're using it probably in the New Testament besides Acts, and he's saying, as you suffer, to say that as you suffer as a follower of Christ, hey, don't be ashamed. Rather, glorify God in that moment. Bear his son's name. Don't be ashamed because you are a Christian. But rather use this moment to honor God. Glorify Him. Don't waste it. 
Remember why? Because we've talked about it in 1 Peter. Who are these people that he's writing to? They're a royal priesthood, holy nation, exiles, living in this world. So they already know that that's not, that's not who they are. They're not part of this world. This is who they are. And the call is not to be ashamed. And I think it, what it really shows for us, you and I, it's a beautiful picture of the secret on how to suffer for the sake of the gospel by remembering who we are. That's how we suffer for the sake of the gospel. That we belong to Christ. That we're not of this world. That we have nothing to be ashamed of. We talked about it in communion. I was reminded about God's forgiveness. That we actually share in Christ's suffering as we are ridiculed for the sake of the gospel. That actually shows to a world around that actually we belong to Him and we are now living our lives to glorify Him. And this is a wonderful, humbling reminder to all you and I that these words are not there to rile us up, but our moment as we suffer for the sake of the gospel should not cause us as gospel people to be arrogant in any way. But rather, it's a humble way of seeing what it means to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It's a humble disposition because we already know who we belong to. There's no need to please everybody else. We're doing it for God and His glory. Because it's His name that we represent. He's the one that we're calling to represent. And that means there's no excuse at all. We have no room to be jerks for Jesus. There's no room for that. Here in this reminder, the Apostle Paul talks about this even further. In Romans 12, verses 9 to 21 particularly want to focus on verses 14. Paul unpacks this. The next slide for us would be great. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, in so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And I would add, if he makes fun of you on social media, love them back. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a wonderful reminder even to you and I, as we face persecution for the sake of the gospel, our posture should be gracious as, and humble. Because this season of fiery trial that God is allowing has a cosmic reality. And you see in verse 17, he makes a very poignant statement. says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It's as though what he's saying to these churches is saying the trial that is coming, the trial that God is allowing as you stand for the sake of the gospel, it actually bears witness to, um, to those who are around you. What he's saying in this trial, there's dual things going on. On one hand, you've got that you're suffering for the sake of the gospel. God is refining you. But then there's also this picture of judgment. And there's two kind of judgment that he talks a bit further about. But the first thing is in relation to the church, it's not church of judgment and condemnation. It's a picture of judgment and it's refining, reminder that Christ is at work 
through his bride, the church. What he's doing is this picture that Christ is refining and, and then he works outwards. So it starts with the church, the refinement, the judgment, and then it works outwards to those who don't know Christ. It's a refining fire. It begins with the household of God first. This language is once again of Old Testament language. You can read about it a lot in Ezekiel in particular. It's this picture of God and his people belonging, but God is involved in that. He's refining and he's showing that his spirit lives in them and his seal is there. And there's fruit produced through that. It's a picture of purification of the church. It's burning away the junk. And friends, these words are serious words for you and I even today. And to drive that further, he quotes, well, it's probably from Proverbs 11.31, the righteous is scarcely saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. He's saying God's holiness is so intense, is so pure, that even the righteous themselves just barely make it to the holy God. And we've heard about that. How is that possible? Only through faith, through God's grace. But then there's implications that there is judgment still yet to come. There's judgment that awaits. That God in, his, in this history, even time today, has always been in the business of refining his bride, the church. For those who belong to him, it's a purifying fire. He's cutting away. He's making us more like his son. But for those who do not belong to Jesus Christ, it's a poignant reminder that judgment awaits from a holy God. And friends, for those of us who know Jesus, this should actually stir us to be a more witness to a broken world, but it should also cause us to be humble. It's only by grace that we can stand before a holy God. And for those of you who might be on this journey exploring the Christian faith, you might be even coming here or maybe even listening in. I want you to know that every single person who calls Canterbury home who is a follower of Christ, they know it is not by their own merits anything that they have done. It's the sheer grace of God that allows them to stand before a holy God through Christ. But I want you to know, and I'm telling you this lovely, and we're telling you this lovely, there's a day coming when Christ will return. And there's no guarantee that you will live the next day. Your life is actually not in your hands. When the Christ returns, there is actually no second chance. There is no second chance. When his glory is revealed that we read about earlier, but his judgment. So this day, in this season, in this life, we're imploring you, we're calling you to turn to him. We're okay that if you have lots more questions. We want you to ask those questions, though. We want you to seek answers for that. But I want to tell you now very clearly that if you follow Jesus Christ, everything is not awesome as that Lego movie lies to you. That is a lie. Following Jesus does not mean everything will go awesome. Actually, as we've read, it might most probably go the opposite. It is a promise that you will face trial, and you know what? You will be ridiculed for the sake of following Jesus. That is a reality. But you have a Savior who's gone before you and who will always go before you and will empower you to live for Him. And to finish off, Peter, have these beautiful words that have been deeply encouraging for me this past week as I've meditated on in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God 
God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I want you to just put yourselves in these group of churches who are getting these letters, and there might be, most probably they don't exist, but there's a couple by the name of Dave and Gemma. And they've been hearing these words from the people who are reading it, or maybe reading it themselves, about trial and suffering and impending, it's all going to happen. Maybe they're feeling a little bit overwhelmed when they hear these verses, ultimately saying, hey, don't run away. That if you, that God in his grace allows you to suffer for the sake of the gospel, and that's his will, you have a great place to run to. You can run to the one and you can entrust your souls to the one who is faithful. The one who has always been there. And he's actually challenging. If you can just imagine, it would have been encouraging words to say, don't shriek away as well. Notice what he said at the end. While doing good. As you face trial for the sake of the gospel, it's actually not to shriek away, not to run away. It's to continue to live for Christ. And one way to do that is by doing good. And we explore that in 1 Peter. It constantly keeps coming up. By your works. It's not a work salvation. It's talking about it's, it's, it's a natural reality that by your works, you love them and you pursue them. You care for them. So when persecution and trial come, Christians have no room to actually drift away hide. But they have the great opportunity to entrust the sovereign one who is in control to the one who has it in control, including that trial. And in that moment, the call is to keep doing good. I don't know about you this week, there was a survey that came out talking about religion and religion in Australia and how it's you know, dying and no one's interested and all those kind of things. There's more reality of religious freedom, most probably going to get squished and all this kind of stuff. And um, you, know, you know, when I drop my kids off at school and go to I hear some of the things they're saying in their classroom, and I, start, I start, my world just starts going all around in my head. You may even hear stories of certain places wanting to annihilate the Christian faith. Or maybe even on a ground level, for you, that might mean during the week there are friends of yours find out that you're a Christian and they don't want to be your friend anymore. It might be simple that there are people at work, you have a contract that's coming, but it would mean that ethically it would compromise your faith in Christ in any way and you actually say no and they just laugh at you and mock you. Or maybe there's a moment at... Um, and you're home, and you're hanging out with friends who don't know Jesus, and they're saying to you, wait, you, you teach your kids what? That there's a creator of the universe and God? That's ridiculous. Where do our hearts run when we feel those impending pressures? Well, here it's a reminder that if we're suffering for the sake of the gospel according to God's will, there's only one place we ought to run to. Run to the one that we can entrust our souls to, the one who is sovereign over the fiery trial, the one who now resides in you through his Holy Spirit, the one who is at work in your life. Entrust your souls to him. And because we can entrust our souls to him, that actually pushes us to not kind of become jerks for Jesus, actually love and care uh, for our friends who don't know Jesus, even when they're vehemently oppose the Christian faith. Friends, that is the example of our Savior. Is that not what he did? As he came into this world, ultimately doing the Father's will, loving those, even those who crucified him, he himself entrusted his spirit to his Father, 
because he knew his father was the faithful judge. And as our risen Savior, he calls you and I to enter into his suffering, living for him in this world. And knowing that he's actually got you and he's got me. That actually gives us an opportunity to rejoice. So friends, don't be surprised as you face fiery trial. Because it's there to test you and refine you. I rejoice in knowing that you are suffering Christ's suffering. In rejoicing in knowing that the Spirit of God rests on you, you are representing Him. Don't suffer and bring it on yourself. Remember that judgment has come to His church. Christ is refining His church. And that means that in those moments, we can actually entrust our suffering and our trial to the one who has actually got us. Because He's our faithful God. He's a righteous judge. This means as you head out this week, as you go to work and school and your workplace at home, as you stand for Christ, remember who you belong to. And if the fiery trial comes for the sake of the gospel, represent him well, humbly, empowered by spirit for his glory. Entrust your souls to the one who knows you and cares for you. Because there are many who do not know him and they need to hear this truth and gospel, even in this season here in Melbourne, Australia. This is why there's fiery trials. And this is how we suffer for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for being our great example that you came to the most greatest of fiery trials to save us. We thank you also for the reality of the Christian faith, that you permit fiery trials as we stand for the sake of the gospel in different forms that may come to us. Empower us through your spirit to stand well. We thank you for your Holy Spirit in us. Help us not to be ashamed, but to glorify you We ask for your grace and forgiveness for the times that we as a church, as a big church here in Melbourne, Australia, and Australia have compromised on the gospel. And you, in your mercy, are refining us. Help us to entrust our souls to you, you who is the faithful creator. And help us to do good to those who hate us, who revile us, maybe for your glory. And Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world every day who are dying for the sake of the gospel. As a pastor in Syria once said, pray that we will be faithful. Pray that we will represent Christ well till he either calls us home or comes to take us. We pray for them, encourage them, provide for their needs. In Jesus' name, amen.